Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Dessa, and this is Deeply Human. Unless you are listening to this program in the shower, sunbathing on a progressive beach, or as a fresh-born babe, you are probably wearing clothing, even if it's hot out. Which is strange when you think about it. No other animals fashion garments to conceal their private parts. And that sentence probably doesn't make much sense, because I doubt other animals bother sorting public parts from private ones. So why do we? Like, listener, why aren't you naked? My little brother was small, maybe six or seven. He hit a sleepwalking stage. Well, like sleep running, really. It usually happened shortly after his bedtime when my mom and I would be chatting on her big bed. We'd hear rapid footfalls coming from down the hall and we'd make way because we knew that in a moment, my brother would be rounding the corner, sans pajamas, and would leap like a little naked starfish onto her bed. Then we would take great care not to wake him up and embarrass him before guiding him back to bed. We were more concerned about this kid being ashamed of his nakedness than we were of him, like, launching himself out the window. Let's talk to a naked grown-up now. Can you introduce yourself, like, the way that you would at a party? I can give it a go. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm at a party. (laughs) I get nervous at parties. For a dude with some self-professed social anxiety, in 2020, Mark went on national television in the UK and got totally naked. So Naked Attraction is a Channel 4 TV show where the dating happens in reverse, they say. Basically, there's six naked people in the studio and the picker gets to choose a person to go on a date with by gradually seeing their nude body. I cannot emphasize enough how insane this TV show is. I first stumbled across it a couple of years ago, channel surfing in a London hotel room, and I spent the next hour in sustained shock. The format itself is like pretty pedestrian. One person picks a date out of a panel of contestants, but all the guests get completely naked. And when I say completely, I'm not talking about like demure poses with crossed legs or topless women peeking coyly over a bare shoulder. I am talking like close-ups of genitals in studio lighting on network TV at like 10 p.m. If I owned pearls, I'd have to be typing these scripts one-handed because I would still be clutching them. But to Mark, who was gearing up to re-enter the dating pool, 
this sort of terrifying challenge was kind of like cross-training for taking the plunge. In many ways, it's more scary to go out on a date and meet someone new and get naked with them for the first time than it is to go on a national TV show. Our unclothed bodies do seem sort of fragile, like such a vast expanse of bare skin to abrade or chill or burn or bruise. Naked people are just so naked. (laughs) Humans, you might recall from a bio class of your, are sometimes called the naked ape. We lost our fur about a million years ago. And there are a few theories as to why the most popular asserts that our bare skin helps us sweat to stop us from overheating. Anthropologist Nina Jablonski. I study human skin, including the evolution of nakedness and what it means to have naked skin. What is not intuitive to me is if we evolved over a fulfillion generations to be furless, then why did we turn around and start wearing furs stolen from other animals? Probably one of the first things we did was cover ourselves up at night. Humans, like other primates, would have been good at huddling with one another to keep warm. And certainly we also used furs and animal hides as humans began to move outside of the tropics. We get cold at night and invent blankets. Okay, that tracks. But when does shame enter the picture? Because it seems like in even the hottest of climes, humans usually cover themselves up, even with only a tiny little scrap of fabric. And those genital coverings don't seem to serve any meaningful purpose for thermoregulation. It's not like, man, I'm freezing, can I borrow your fig leaf? So what's going on there? What's with the whole modesty business? People were living, you know, cheek by jowl. And one can imagine that there would be certain situations in which the condition of the genitals would cause some kind of social disruption. Let's just say gently. Let's try to get this past the censors together, Nina. What are you talking about? (laughs) If you're in a, a close social group, Sometimes those interactions between individuals that cause visible excitation would be considered antisocial. It's like we're concealing sensitive information as much as we're concealing the anatomy itself. Who's aroused or who's on their period. And sometimes modesty isn't only about clothes. Modesty isn't necessarily about covering up but it's about removing yourself from the greater social group under particular situations. For instance, women removing themselves when they're menstruating or a couple going off when they're having sex together. So like me wearing jeans right now might be the equivalent of me sneaking off behind a tree or over a ridge in times of yore. Like, it's just me keeping the intimate bits intimate, which I no longer need to do geographically because Levi's? (laughs) Yeah. It's like clothing is a little privacy shed that you take with you everywhere you go. And it's a shed you are not allowed to leave. Try walking down the street without your clothes on in New York City. You can't do it. 
That buzzkill was provided by Philippa Levine, professor of history at the University of Texas. I think some people would be offended and suggest that you're obscene. Other people would think that you're, you know, what we used to call a sex maniac, whatever the an earth that means. Others would think that perhaps you were psychologically unbalanced. Some would think that you were making a political statement because we do know that nakedness has been used a lot as a form of political resistance in many different cultures. Clothes may have started with warmth and privacy, but they certainly didn't end there. Clothing has become a crucial part of culture. It announces social affiliations and economic status and class and ethnicity. And over the course of human history, it's become almost like a wearable flag. Sidebar, we have an episode about dress and dress codes. Philippa herself specializes in colonial history, when British and other European powers were traveling far beyond their own shores, encountering varied customs across the planet, misunderstanding much of what they saw and citing those differences to rationalize programs of world domination there is this notion that bodies of color, black bodies in particular, are somehow naturally naked and that this makes those people inferior to civilized white people who know to wear clothes. This is a narrative over and over again in colonial texts that one of the reasons we need to civilize these people is because they don't understand that they need to wear clothes and be modest and they need to learn shame. We see it with the missionaries in the 18th century when they first get to places like the Pacific Islands. We see it in Africa. We see it all over the world. Philippa notes that while clothing traditions vary hugely across the world, not every culture ties up their notions of modesty and shame with a naked body. But many colonialists depicted bare skin as some sort of moral failing, evidence of an animal nature, ignorance. Charities organized fundraisers to clothe the natives to fulfill a moral imperative. But a prominent naturalist named Thomas Henry Huxley was eager to document the naked bodies of people around the world. And a letter written by Huxley was, actually, what inspired Philippa herself to embark on a career studying nakedness. So in 1869, he writes a letter to the man who runs the British Empire. And he says, and these are his words, not mine. He says, please, could you arrange to have photographs of naked natives sent to me for scientific research purposes? Well, there I am reading this letter and my jaw drops. I'm thinking 1869, height of the Victorian period. And here he is having the gall to ask this, you know, grand politician to send him pictures of, you know, men and women without their kit on. Granville writes back and he says, sure, no problem, I'll be right on it. And indeed, he sends what they call a circular, which is basically a letter that goes to every single colonial governor, saying, Professor Huxley needs pictures of your natives without their clothes on. Please send. God, 1869. This dude writes, send nudes to the whole world. You got it. Huxley wanted the people of the empire to strip naked for photos so he could classify them the way a collector pins butterflies to a board. He was interested in figuring out how humans evolved, but he was also working on sorting people into a hierarchy of races. A lot of people took similar photos, missionaries, anthropologists, even game hunters. It got me thinking about how, even as a child growing up in Britain myself, we had had school textbooks that talked about the naked native and what an incredibly familiar trope this was to me. And that trope has been pervasive. Our sense of propriety and shame can be leveraged for power, social and political. Naked peoples, historically, weren't considered deserving of the same respect and moral regard as clothed ones. The most sensational, 
and complicated and heart-sinking story that Philippa told me took place in an Australian mission school called Ernabella. The mission at Ernabella is a really interesting example of how messy this stuff becomes. I think it failed, but it tried, I think, to understand and to respect what it understood as the local indigenous customs. So we're talking about in what was known as the outback. You know, we're in the desert here. It's the 1940s in rural Australia, one of the last regions on the continent to be settled by white people. And by the standards of the time, this mission school was considered progressive, promoting the culture and the language of the indigenous Aboriginal people. Some of the students there were children of two Aboriginal parents. Full blood would have been the term used then, and some were half white. The kids who are full blood are being encouraged by Ernabella to embrace what they see as their indigenous culture. And as a result, they're not allowed to wear clothes because they're understood as a naked and primitive peoples. The kids who've had white fathering, those kids were not allowed to go naked. I don't think I am ever going to forget that. These kids stranded on either side of adults' imaginary lines. The mandate for modesty is pretty universal, even if modesty looks different in practice around the world. Some places don't like bare breasts or legs or shoulders or hair. But whatever the rules are, most cultures are passionate about compliance. Some taboos on nakedness, however, don't seem to vary all that much across culture. Philippa says there is one adult body part that almost every society covers up. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The biggest taboo over time, without question, is the penis. There's always a big hoo-ha when we start to have any hint that we might see a penis. Somehow women's bodies are okay to commercialize, to use to sell things, to make pretty pictures from, meaning, you know, posh stuff that goes on gallery walls. Fast forward to 2020. A woman sits for her portrait with her eyes closed and her arms crossed over her bare breasts in front of a studio backdrop. The photo's cropped at the waist, but you can see, like, the dark band of leggings at the bottom of the frame. It's the kind of image you might see a lot of while scrolling on social media. But when this particular image was posted to Instagram, the platform removed it for violating community guidelines. 
The woman in the photo was Naomi Nicholas Williams, a black plus-sized model. She, the photographer, and a bunch of other people pointed out that slenderer white models could post exactly these sorts of images all day long and not get censored. Her fans rallied on her behalf online. The hashtag, I want to see Naomi, started gaining traction, and a lot of other users who tried posting the image met with similar takedown notices. Naomi wrote a public letter to the CEO of Instagram that said, and I quote, Instagram reproduces the same racial biases that society does, seeing fat black bodies as too much or unpalatable. And actually, Instagram ended up changing its nudity policy, acknowledging that Naomi's photo shouldn't have been taken down. One of the people who signed Naomi's letter was Shar Elise. For those people right now who are just like meeting you for the first time by voice only, can you describe what you look like? <laughs> yeah, I'm dark skin. I have a shaved head. Um, I'm probably around a size, well, I'm around a size UK 16 to 18. And I'm like five foot five. I've got loads of tattoos quite a few piercings, and yeah, that's me. Shar is a content creator, a sometimes model, and the founder of an online platform called Girls Will Be Boys, which aims to explore gender through personal stories. She says that a naked body is seen through a completely different lens if that body is black. It goes back years and years and years. Like, there's so many examples of our bodies being seen as either like freak shows. It's not just a body that functions that a human being lives in. It's it's something else. It has to be something else. It's, it's disgusting and it's really unfair. In a lot of forums, only some naked bodies are considered artful and others are just fundamentally indecent and shouldn't be seen at all. We don't see women with saggy boobs we don't see women with bellies they have the phrase of like all shapes and sizes we welcome all shapes and sizes but you don't okay maybe a different size but it's always the same shape so Shar teamed up with naomi and another model to pose for a photo project that protested online censorship us three models were painted head to toe in pink glitter all over. There literally was not a speck of us that wasn't painted. And we were kind of stood on these podiums and it was just us in like our natural forms. And there were close-ups of like certain body parts, like back rolls. And it was just basically a middle finger up to censorship and society and making out that our bodies are something that they're not. And that basically our bodies are exactly what we say they are and that we can be shown as art as well as our slimmer or white counterpart. So it was just like a celebration of us and our bodies. The human menagerie is stocked with all sorts of bodies. And we tend to see just a small sampling of them represented in our media. And so... We take note when the spotlight hits someone not usually asked to center stage. Remember that guy, Mark, who took off all his clothes on that show, Naked Attraction? Mark is a handsome dude. But if you were to Google clips from his appearance on the show, and I have, the first thing you're likely to notice about his anatomy is actually, well, let's let him tell it. I actually had my whole colon removed 
and had a colostomy bag fitted in order to collect the waste that would ordinarily go through your colon and out of your butt. And so, yeah, the, the, it changes your, the way you look because you have this uh, sort of medical appliance on your stomach. So at the time, yeah, I was pretty embarrassed about it. I was, yeah, more reluctant for anyone to actually see me. Mark has Crohn's disease. And after his surgery, he felt ugly, hyper aware of the bag affixed to the skin above his right hip. He healed up and got back on his feet, but dating posed a particular challenge. I was meeting new women and, and had to get naked at some point, and therefore I had to really address this uh, shyness that I had. So when his friends encouraged him to go on the program, he went for it. And the audience loved him. And afterwards, the Twitter account for Colostomy UK congratulated Mark on his confidence and all the work he'd done raising awareness. They also posted a shot from the episode featuring a modesty-saving eggplant emoji but his colostomy bag in full view. I think being naked on national TV was probably the biggest challenge that I'd done so far. Uh, yeah, I think kind of stepping it up like that and, and uh, gradually revealing it to more and more people has helped me personally as well as obviously, uh, you know, the more people in the general public that know about these things, the better, in my opinion. Getting naked can make a statement. It can make us feel vulnerable or empowered or just chilly. But when other people see you naked, it might change the way they think about how you think. Okay, let's get Kurt Gray in here already. He's based at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, as the director of the Deepest Beliefs Lab which, let's be frank, is an amazing name for a lab. Some years ago, a few of his colleagues were having a debate. How does seeing someone undressed change the way you think about them? One team said, we objectify naked bodies. When you observe somebody naked, they're reduced to a mindless pile of meat. But the other team said, you don't think less of them, you just see them differently. Kurt decided to run a series of trials to try to find out who was right. I can tell you about the most interesting experiment, which involves adult film stars, if, if you'd like. Ready. <laughs> the easiest experiment to run is just show people the same person, you know, with their clothes on and clothes off. Same picture, same setting, same lighting, same makeup. The only thing that differed is, is nakedness. Happily, a photographer named Timothy Greenfield Sanders had already published a book of portraits in which porn stars were photographed both naked and clothed in exactly the same poses. And we had a disclaimer that said, warning, you're gonna see, you're gonna see pornography in this study. And with that disclaimer, the study filled up in a hot minute. So we asked a thousand people to judge these adult film stars. These thousand participants were then given a questionnaire to capture their impressions of the people in the photographs. They were asked questions like, Compared to the average person, how much is this person capable of self-control, of planning, of feeling pain, of feeling rage? And we found that when you see someone without their clothes on, so that when they're naked, you see them as less capable of thinking, uh, but in fact more capable of feeling, of feeling fear and pain and pleasure. Kurt's findings implied sort of a zero-sum proposition. Like, the more we perceive people as thinking the less we perceive them as sensitive to feelings. Kurt conducted another experiment, and this time he encouraged participants to administer safe but uncomfortable electric shocks to someone in another room. Before doing so, however, 
they were shown a picture of the guy who'd be receiving the shock. Shocky, as it were. Some participants were shown photos of Shocky naked above the waist. Other participants were shown a picture of him wearing a black hoodie. And, as you might be starting to suspect, Shocky was a secret agent in this thing, actually a part of Kurt's team. And so what we found there is that people administered more shocks when people were closed than when people were naked. Kurt figured that's because we perceive naked people as more sensitive to pain, more vulnerable. It didn't seem as though research participants were objectifying the naked people, reducing them to nothing more than their physical bodies. They still regarded them as individuals with mental lives. They still had minds. But participants assumed the minds of naked people were doing less intellectual work and were more involved with sensation and emotion. But can we really extrapolate these findings from the highly controlled laboratory environment to the outside world? Kurt admits it's hard to be sure if data collected from Harvard undergrads holds true for the rest of the planet. Look, in other societies, it certainly seems that perhaps the more powerful, the more you're seen as a thinker, the more clothes that you have on. But as the scientists always say, more work needs to be done. Kurt understood these results to suggest that maybe seeing people differently when they're naked isn't all bad. Maybe it helps us register their vulnerability and prompts us to want to protect them. Also, maybe it's just like true. Maybe when we're naked, we do tend to focus more on feeling than thinking. Right. We wear clothes to like protect ourselves so we don't feel as much. And so I think it's true that that when we are clothed, we are more of a thinker and we're naked. We're, we're more of a feeler. I guess on the occasions where I encounter someone who is observing me naked, like I'm not planning an invasion of Prussia. Like I am more <laughs> I am more focused on the present moment experience and sensation, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, little known fact, Napoleon planned most of his advances totally naked. That's not true. I just made that up. Um, Oh, God. I just, I was like this, flip a table over Spike Mike, you just won. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listener, our time together is almost up. And if I sound a little different while delivering this final thought, it's because I am now sitting completely naked on the floor of a hotel closet. And I would describe the sensation as... Mostly humbling. Kind of hard to put down my own standard-issue insecurities and focus on the task at hand. It also feels like I am maybe doing something low-key illegal, which is probably just a product of my own looming fear that housekeeping is going to enter unannounced and discover me in a very difficult-to-explain audio project. I once read an article in the Seattle Times about just how seriously we take modesty. There were these disaster planners and they were really struggling to create viable decontamination protocols because people who were caught up in anthrax scares were so reluctant to undress, even to save themselves from a potentially lethal biotoxin some people, and I quote, would rather be dead than strip in public. But you know who just does not care at all? about modesty or nakedness. Tiny kids. They suck at getting into clothes, and they suck at wearing them. We've got to persuade every new arrival to the planet, one by one, to get dressed and get on board. We teach him to put on a hat in the winter. We explain which parts must be covered to merge into the flow of social traffic. And to protect their furless little bodies from the elements, we get them shoes and shirts and 
maybe squirts. And by the time they're all grown up, they'll probably be uncomfortable without clothes, feeling overexposed and vulnerable. Among the many peculiarities of us naked apes is our ambivalence about our own nakedness. All right, radio friends, it is time to shut this party down before housekeeping discovers the creepazoid hiding naked in the closet in room 806. Deeply Human is a BBC World Service and American Public Media co-production with iHeartMedia and is hosted by me, Dessa. Find me online at Dessa on Instagram and Dessa Darling on Twitter. Question. Why do you care so much about what people wear? Yo, I can hear you thinking, I don't care so much about... But I bet you've got more skin in this game than you might imagine. Next time on Deeply Human... We're talking dress codes. 